So today we turn a corner in this book called John. And we are looking at the symbolism, and it is our opportunity to take a look at the various elements that give to us a deeper meaning than what you actually read on the surface. So you saw the video, and you saw that this second half of the book began in chapter 13. We're not going to take a look at chapters 13 through 16 right now. We might come back to that at some other time. I want to jump to chapter 17. In chapter 17, there's this prayer. And I want you to hear this prayer that Jesus is praying. It's not very long, but it is very powerful. And it will help us into understanding where Jesus is going with his life. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled." I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, 
so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved them. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's a pretty profound prayer that Jesus offers on the coming last week of his life. So today, we are making another step in this series. We began with talking a little bit about the symbolism of John, the seven statements, the I am statements, the seven lights along the shore that we see in the book that give to us hope. We talked a little bit about different people that were on this quest to know Jesus as he revealed himself. And then today, we begin a section over the month of March here where Jesus kind of warns his disciples that there's stormy waters ahead, that there's some troublesome things that are on the horizon and that they're going to have to persevere and they're going to have to somehow find the inner strength to take the next step. And I think all of us at times are in that situation, right, where we don't know how we're going to take the next step in light of tomorrow and the uncertainty of it. And then we'll close off the book of John as we come to the month of April and we see how he safely arrives his followers to shore. And it is there that they will continue on his work. Well, today, I want to talk about this farewell prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. I don't know if you heard it when I was reading it, He is talking about what he is anticipating for his own life in this coming week, but he's also anticipating kind of the trouble or the stormy waters, if you will, uh, that his disciples are going to face, and how is it that they are going to persevere and make it through? Well, one of the things I think that enters into this text that's very important is the idea of, boy, I wish I knew what was coming. Have you ever gotten up and said, gosh, I wish I knew what the day holds. Uh, I wish I knew what this week is going to look like. And I'll adjust accordingly. So it made me think of this question that I want to ask you to think about for a couple of moments before I break down the prayer and the three parts that's in this prayer. And here's the question. If you had the chance to have an hour-by-hour forecast of your life, would you want to know? If you had the chance to have an hour-by-hour forecast in your life, would you want to know? That's a difficult question, isn't it? Part of me wants to say yes, part of me wants to say no, and part of me wants to say, eh, maybe. What if we answered this question, yes? I think we all have at times said, boy, I wish 
I knew then what I know now. I'd make different choices, I'd make different adjustments along the way. I could avoid some mistakes. I could make wiser choices if I knew then what I know now, or if I had some type of preview of what's up and coming, I could make a better choice. But there's an assumption if you ask or answer the question yes. It assumes that you have total control. It assumes that you have total free will to be able to alter the circumstances around you because you have this knowledge of what is coming. But that's not always the case, is it? You might have a full knowledge of your own life, but you can't control the choices of other people, right? So even though, yes, I would like to know what's coming, that does not fully guarantee that I will fully be able to control it, right? There's other people. They have their own choices as well. Okay, then. Let's back off. Let's answer the question, no. If you had the chance to have an hour-by-hour forecast for your life, would you want to know? No, I don't want to know. I will live it in the moment. And serendipitously, I will take it life as it comes, and I'll make those choices. The problem with that answer is, if you don't want to know, is there in the back of your mind a sense of determinism that fate is beyond any of your choices? If there is no free will to be able to know Will I then live in fear? No, I don't want to know, but what about tomorrow? Will I lose my job? Will I lose my health? Boy, that's kind of scary too, right? To kind of step into tomorrow blind and not be able to have any information? Or how about the answer maybe? If I had the opportunity to know and I have the opportunity to change course at times, would I then be able to make those corrections as long as I had the assurance that there is a greater hand behind my choices that will also help me to correct when I make the wrong choice, right? Yes, no, maybe. Well, when you hear the words of Jesus in this prayer, there's kind of a yes-no-maybe element to it. There is this idea that God sent Jesus into the world and he's going to reveal himself to the world and it's his choice, it's his responsibility, his purpose to carry out God's work in the world. But his choice is not always met by favorable acceptance by people and we're going to see that in the weeks ahead when the disciples will end up being submitted to a lot of persecution that is coming for people that want to push back on the claims of Jesus and reject him. But along the way, Jesus seems to understand that there's a greater hand that's at play. Remember all the way back to that first miracle where Jesus changed the water to wine? 
Remember Mary comes up to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine, implying, do something, Jesus. Fix the situation. Do you remember how Jesus responded? Before he changes the water to wine, this is what he says, my hour has not yet come. Now that's a a sub-theme in the book. Jesus' life is on a timetable. It's almost as if he knows what is coming. And he says to Mary, my hour has not yet come. Then you come to chapter 12, and he looks at his disciples, and he knows what's awaiting him, and then he brings up this issue of the hour again. He says, now my hour has come. That's the first thing that's said in the prayer. Father, the hour has come. It's almost as if he knows that his life is unfolding one act at a time, and now he's going to step into those final moments. And as he steps into those final moments, he has a choice to make. He has a choice as to go ahead, embrace what's ahead, or to turn and run the other way. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus has this prayer after he meets with the disciples in the upper room, but it's much different than this prayer. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the prayer is found in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the olive press. It's the place where olives were crushed to make olive oil. And it's this idea that in his agony, he is praying. And in those three books, he prays, Father, Father, if it is all possible, let this cup, what, pass from me. Nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, you have the same setting in John's Gospel, but you have a different prayer. It begins in chapter 13. Jesus gathers his disciples in an upper room. He's going to share with them a Passover meal. At the beginning of that evening, the disciples walk into the room, and Jesus does something very odd. He takes off his outer garment, he bends down, and he washes his disciples' feet. Then they have this meal. And then in chapters 14 through 16, there's this long teaching pericope of, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give to you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you're going to be able to carry on even better than you were when you walked with me. And then it says he prayed this prayer I just read. Is this the same place in the Garden of Gethsemane? It doesn't sound like it. Where was this prayer prayed? Because this prayer here is not, get me out of this situation, God, But this prayer goes, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, for you have granted him authority over all people, that he might have eternal life, 
or rather he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Much different prayer. Different circumstance. But this particular prayer seems to know what's coming. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows what's coming, but he doesn't want to embrace it. Here we find him embracing it after he gives the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now this is not a usual deathbed prayer, is it? This is much different than the Gethsemane type of prayer. This prayer looks like this. Father, the hour has come. Everything's on the right timetable. And I'm going to step into it. And here's what I want you to do. So there's three parts to this prayer. Verses 1 through 8. Jesus prays for his glorification. Then he prays for the faith community, that is his disciples. And then... At the very end, he prays for the union of Father, Son, and the believers that are even yet to come after he is gone. In other words, you and me. Thinking on into the future, thinking about what is yet to come in the epochs of time. He's thinking about us being in union with God. And so here, we first of all see that he prays for his own glorification. That is, he's come from heaven. It's time for him to return to heaven. God, restore to me that intimacy with you that I had before the creation of the world. And then he talks about eternal life. But he doesn't talk about eternal life that he is offering to um, his disciples to be uh, eternal as in everlasting life forever and ever and ever. That's not the way he defines eternal life. Here's what he says. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is the sharing of God's own life. The idea of knowing God. The idea of sensing that God is with us even as we step into the unknown. You know, do I want an hour-by-hour hour forecast of my life? Yes, no, maybe. But what I do need to understand is that God goes with us in this mystical experience that no matter where life takes us, no matter what turn we take, no matter what troubles we see, no matter what stormy waters we sail, God is there. He's with us. He's not going to leave us. And as the Father is intimate with the Son, the Son is intimate with His followers. And there is this precious union. But in verse 4 he says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus opens up this portal to be able to connect with the divine. And it is this work that He has finished upon the cross, which we'll get to in weeks ahead, he is allowing us to know what God is really like. But it's not going to be easy. Second element of the prayer is a prayer for the faith community that are his disciples. He says things like this, I pray for them. Give them 
a sense of your presence, God. Protect them by the power of your name. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When we go through stormy waters, we need to understand that Jesus knows what we're going through. And he's praying on behalf of the disciples that after he leaves, they'll be able to persevere and still have this sense of oneness with God, even though at times our soul screams out, God, where are you? Right? At times we feel God has abandoned us. At times we feel God has turned his back on us. But that's not true. Jesus is lifting the barriers of our understanding, and he's helping us to see that God is able to help us navigate through those approaching storms. Jesus is not telling us life is free from pain, is he? Life has a lot of pains and problems and predicaments. But he is praying that the coming storms will not tear us apart. That those coming storms will not cause us to turn on each other and blame each other and hate each other. He's praying that they will lean into this mystical oneness with God that is available to us. That we all have this moment in time where maybe we begin to see that God has not left us. He really did understand what we are going through. And so what we find is that when the waters get rough, one of the things that often dissolves is our trust in God and our trust in other people. But he's praying that these disciples will be able to get through that, just as you and me need to get through those times because they are difficult. And then thirdly, he prays not just for that group that had the meal with him in the upper room, not just those disciples that had followed him and heard him teach, not just those disciples who saw the miracles, not just those disciples who actually heard him say, I am, but those individuals like you and me who navigate blindly because we weren't there in person in the first century, right? Ours is a leap of faith. Ours is one of a step that takes real trust because at times, at times, I think we've all have felt that believing would be easier if I was there with Jesus in that moment when Lazarus was resurrected or the water was changed to wine or the blind man healed. But here's what Jesus prays for. My prayer, verse 20, is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Now that's been going on now for over 2,000 years. Those who are believing through their message, their ongoing witness to what they saw and what they felt, how they were touched. So there's this prayer for this eschatological, that just means last things. That means the things that are yet to come toward the future this union between the Father and His Son, Jesus, and the Son and believers, that's you and me. So, 
we don't know how long this world will still continue to go on as it does. We don't really know when the kingdom of God will fully embark in our experience. We don't know when God will eradicate the evil that's in our world. But what we do know is if it goes on another 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, what we do know is God is saying He's going to be with us through those stormy waters. Stormy waters. Those type of experiences and circumstances that rip apart the sails of our lives. But what we find is Jesus' prayer is for us that we will know that he will give to us what we need to reach the shore safely. You know, he tells his disciples he will never leave them nor forsake them. Didn't seem like that in the moment. Not during the last week of Christ's life. At times, this is extremely hard to comprehend and to believe. But when we realize that there are stormy waters ahead of us, the human reaction would be to turn around and head back or try to steer around that storm. Good luck with that. Because I don't think any of us can fully control avoiding those circumstances. But what we can realize is that God is still with us even when we can't fully see Him, even when the winds are so hard and the rain is so hard that we can't see where God is, Jesus has prayed for us and I think He continues to pray that we will journey on. Sometimes the journey lasts a lot longer than we would like it to. Sometimes our circumstances do not come to a stop. Sometimes the water slops up into our boat Sometimes we will second guess why we got on that boat in the first place. But real life is not found on the sea when it is calm, but even when it's choppy. And the good news is that when we ride out the storm, we do not journey alone. God goes with us, and we go with each other. And I think at times there are some people that get tossed overboard a little bit. Their circumstances have so drained their spirit that they can't take another step. And that's where you and I help be the lifeline, the safety vests, that help people just to take one more stroke while they're underwater, to come up for air, and to believe that God can not only rescue the moment, but bring, bring us safely to shore. So here, Jesus is talking about eternal life. Eternal life, that sharing of God's own life that we can find in the midst of this life. Somehow, God clears out space for all of us in His own life. That's mystical, I know. But it need not be scary. We are meant to experience the same kind of oneness Jesus experiences with the Father. And herein is the reason Jesus came into the world to convince us that God loves us and wants us to have a place within His being. And that's where we make that choice. 
Yes, no, maybe. God will not give you a complete forecast of what's ahead. He just won't. Somehow he chooses to operate life in the way of faith and trust. And even though I'd like to know what's six years down the line, I don't have that opportunity, right? Neither do you. But I can step into tomorrow, right? And then the day after that. And I can be convinced that even when trouble is into tomorrow, that God has, a bring, has the ability to bring the dawn again. That goes back to where we began our service. Walter Brueggemann. When I am out of faith by the end of the day, he allows the sun to set and to rise again. And allows us to get up and say that this day is an opportunity to trust the moment and to trust the maker of heaven and earth.